Heavenly Father, we do thank you and we praise you for your word. And we thank you that it is living and breathing and sharper than a two-edged sword. I thank you that it applies to every single life that's in this room. And Lord, we just pray that your Holy Spirit this morning would be our teacher. We're desperate for you. And may our hearts be prepared to receive from you what your Spirit desires to minister to us. So Lord, we love you, we thank you, and we praise you. In Jesus' name we pray, and all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Titled the message today, The Good Shepherd and His Sheep. And it's interesting that as you go through the Bible, we see many miracles. And the miracles, each time there's a miracle performed, it's the Lord revealing more and more of who He is. It's also revealing a deeper spiritual truth. And so far in John, we saw in John chapter 2, He turned water into wine, pointing to the blood of Christ. He fed the 5,000, pointing to the fact that He's the bread of life. And then last week, we saw Him healing the blind man, pointing to the fact that Jesus truly is the light of the world. And that if we are to be, we, all of us, who are spiritually blind apart from Christ, if we're to know Him, we need to be washed in the sent one. Remember, He sent Him down to the pool of Siloam, which means sent one. And for our eyes to be open spiritually, we must be washed in Jesus Christ. Now, the Pharisees, these self-righteous men, were spiritually blind. And they didn't realize, or they didn't want to accept the fact that they were sinners. We saw the Lord speaking directly to these guys. And, and in the midst of them, there was a blind beggar. And this blind beggar knew that he was in desperation and knew that he was in need. And Jesus touched him and gave him sight and transformed his life. But the Pharisees were blind to it. And what did they do to that man? If you remember last week, they threw him out of the synagogue. They cast him out of fellowship. They said, we no longer want to have anything to do with you. Why? Because you were once blind and now you see. Remember, he stood up in front of them. They said, you know, give God the glory. This Jesus that you say you follow, he's demon-possessed. And he said, no, I don't know about that, but all I can tell you is I was once blind and now I see. And each of us, we can all give our testimony. We can all tell people, we may not have the Bible memorized yet. We may not know every theological truth in the Word of God. But we can all tell people that I was once blind and now I see. God's touched my life. Here's who I used to be and here's who I am now. And the response of these religious men of the day was to throw him out of the synagogue because he refused to reject Jesus Christ. Jesus had spoken to him, he had touched him, and the man would not deny him. And then the ultimate miracle that we saw last week was not that he, had, he was given physical sight, but that he was born again. Because Jesus later found him after he'd been thrown out of the synagogue. He'd been thrown out of the religious system. The religious people of the day wanted nothing to do with him. And Jesus found him and he looked at him and said to him, Do you believe in the Son of God? And his response was, Who is he that I might believe? And he said, I, It's me. And he said, Lord, I believe. And his life was transformed. And the reason I bring that up is because the, end of, the beginning of this chapter is the end of that last chapter. That this man had just been given sight, Jesus had just touched and transformed his life, and the Pharisees had responded in, in anger, had responded by wanting to go after this man. They, they wanted to destroy Jesus Christ. And the Lord is now going to continue on in this discussion with the Pharisees. And he's going to give us two more of the I am statements that we find in John. In the Gospel of John, the Gospel that... that his central focus is the deity of Jesus Christ, that Jesus Christ is God. There are seven I am statements. The first one was, I am the bread of life. We saw that back in John 6. And he said, he who comes to me will never hunger. The second one was, last in chapter 8, I am the light of the world. And he, what he meant by that is that he says, he who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. 
Later when we get to John 11, he'll say, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live. And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. In John 14, he will say, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no man comes to the Father except by me. And in John 15, he will say, I am the vine, and he that abides in me will bear much fruit. So this morning, we're going to see the final two of those I am statements. And these I am statements, remember that when Jesus came, the the name that he gave for himself, he would, would say that I am. Referring back to all the way back in Exodus, when Moses went to the burning bush and he was being sent to free the people out of Egypt, he said, what shall I tell him your name is, God? And God said, I am that I am. And so every time Jesus says, I am the true vine, or I am the way, the truth, and the life, he's referring to himself as being God, because that's who he is. Jesus Christ indeed is God. So this morning, we're going to see two more of these statements as we look at the good shepherd and his sheep. Jesus is the good shepherd. He's in total contrast to these power-hungry, uncaring, legalistic Pharisees. We'll see that as a shepherd, and I want to give you a quick background before we look at the text. Here's the thing about shepherds, you guys. I want you to see this really clearly. I want to contrast shepherd and sheep. Shepherd in those days were very well known. Everybody would know what a shepherd was. And a shepherd was one who knew, loved, and was willing to die for his sheep. A man's wealth in those days was determined by how many sheep that he had. And it was very clear who the shepherds were because of the way they dressed and the kind of tools that they carried around with them. You know, they had a leather belt, and then on it they would have a slingshot, and they would use that slingshot to drive the enemies away, but also to keep the sheep nearby. If a sheep would start to get too far away, they would throw a rock in front of it to turn that sheep around and bring it back where it belonged. We know that David was a shepherd, and he used a slingshot to slay Goliath. They also carried a thing called a rod, which was a long, like a blunt stick. And they would use it also to, to drive away enemies, but also as a rod of correction. If sheep were wandering away and they would continue to wander away, and then the shepherd was afraid that the sheep might somehow get so far away it would get lost or might get hurt or a, a wolf would come in and kill it, that literally what he would do is he would take the rod and he would break the front legs of the sheep, of the lamb. And then he would take that lamb and he would put it over his shoulders. And he would carry that lamb around on his shoulders until its legs were healed. And then he would take that lamb that once was a wanderer, and he'd put that lamb down, and that lamb would never wander away again. And the reason was that it had that near and dear fellowship with the shepherd. He'd been carried around on his shoulders, smelling him, listening to his voice, and he came to the point where he loved being near his shepherd. And so the correction that came to him was not brutality, but was for intimacy. The brokenness that happens in our life Right when, when sometimes God has to break our legs to slow us down, it's because He loves us, and He wants us to draw near to Him and rest in Him. And then finally, along with the rod, they also carried a big staff. It was seven to eight feet long. It was tall, had a crook at the end, and they'd use that to retrieve sheep. So the next two weeks, as we're going through the this, this study on the Good Shepherd, we're going to see these, some of these tools coming into play. Now in Psalm 100, verse 3, it says, We are His people and the sheep of His pasture. So God is, as we're going to see, Jesus and, and God the Father Himself are also, they're the Good Shepherd. He's the Good Shepherd. We're going to see that this morning. So guess who the sheep are? Who are the sheep? We are. Well, guess what? Not as flattering as you might think. Sheep are dumb animals. And boy, that's a good picture of us. Do you know that sheep are totally helpless without protection of another? Do you, do you like see sheep and get scared? Are you worried about sheep? I mean, these things are totally defenseless. They've got to have someone watching over them. Uh, they're also known to walk into fire. 
These are not real smart animals, right? They just walk right into fire. Sheep are also known to make the same mistake over and over and over again. They don't learn. They just keep doing it. Doesn't it sound like us? Amen? I mean, just keep making the same mistake over and over and over again. And they also are very prone to wandering away. So as we look at the good shepherd and the sheep this morning, understand the sheep are a type or a picture of us. And the good shepherd is a picture of the Lord. So this morning we're going to see the parable of the sheepfold. We'll see that Jesus is the door to the sheep, that he is the good shepherd, and then finally there'll be a division among the Jews. Next week we'll finish off the chapter and see Jesus proclaiming himself to be the Son of God and the Jews once again attempting to stone him. So let's begin in verse 1, looking at the parable of the sheepfold as he continues to address these religious leaders who had cast this formerly blind man out. It says, most assuredly I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs up some other way, the same as a thief and a robber. So most assuredly, some of your translations probably say verily, verily, or truly, truly. And this is Jesus giving emphasis to something. Now they've cast this blind man out. They've, they've banished him. They said, we will no longer have anything to do with you. You cannot buy and sell with the Jews anymore. You cannot come into the synagogue. We're casting you out. Jesus shows up and touches him and transforms his life. Then he looks at these guys and he begins to tell them this parable of the sheepfold. Now, it's interesting. Jesus told these men that they were sinners. And he told these men that they, they were in desperate need. And these guys didn't see it. So he uses this sheepfold to, to make it clear that there's only one way into heaven. Now a sheepfold in those days was a nighttime place where the sheep were held. And it would be usually made out of rocks, or in some cases if it was just more thrown together, made out of maybe reeds. But it would be put together and have walls all the way around it and only one door in and one door out. And it was a place where they would take the sheep at night often, and they would bring the sheep into the sheepfold to protect it from the enemies, and it's in that sheepfold they would be protected and watched over. Now, as we're going to see as we get further in the chapter, that there were times when they would bring several flocks of sheep together, and they would all be in that same sheepfold at the same time. And one of the shepherds would stay behind, and he would lay in the door so that nobody could come in or go out unless they went through the shepherd. The sheep couldn't get out without walking over the top of the shepherd, and nobody could come in and attack the sheep without going through the shepherd. So these multitudes would bring them together, and again, they would watch over them. But it says there that there's the sheepfold by the door. He does not enter by the door, but climbs up some other way, the same as a thief and a robber. Any who came any other way except through the door didn't come to feed the sheep, but to fleece the sheep. Now, often these sheep were being were being uh, tended for sacrifice. And there was a lot of money to be made in having sheep. And so there were those that were thieves that would come and they would climb over the back wall instead of coming through the door, and they would grab the sheep, and often they would either try to steal them away, and sometimes they would just kill them right on the spot, slit their throat, and throw them over the, the fence so that they could take them and steal them and then go sell them. And so there were those thieves that would come in and climb up some other way to get a hold of the sheep. But only the shepherd, those that were truly shepherds, would come through the door. Any who came any other way were thieves and robbers, and that's what Jesus is telling them. Now the key difference between a shepherd and a robber, the key difference between these these robbers who point to false prophets and the Pharisees themselves, is one feeds the sheep and the other fleeces the sheep. A true shepherd's whole heart is the well-being of the sheep. He wants to minister to them, he wants to love them, he wants to take care of them. But what does the thief want to do? 
He wants to kill them. He wants to wipe them out. He wants to have them minister to his needs. The sheep exist to bless him. Where in the shepherd's case, the shepherd exists to bless and minister to the sheep. Now we see this today. We see many that desire to to take from you in ministry. And these are the thieves and the robbers that that Jesus is talking about here. You know what? If you go to a place and they want to take from you, that is not the Lord. Amen? You walk around down at the airport and some hardy Christian wants to sell you a daisy for 20 bucks. Is he looking to minister to you or take from you? Besides the fact he's teaching the most whack gospel around, that it's not a gospel, it's a, it's, a, it's a disaster. Come on Monday night, Bill will tell you all about it. But here's the thing. These guys are not teaching truth, and they're desiring to take from you, not to minister to you. You see people on TV and telling you you got to send in a $1,000 seed offering, and you got to give to them and give to them, and they view the sheep as someone to minister to them, someone that they can take from. And that's a thief and a robber. The true shepherd comes to minister to you, to give to you, to love you. And that's how you can tell the difference between a true shepherd and one who is doing something simply to minister to himself. Ministering to you, equipping you for ministering to others or seeking to get from you. Verse 2, but he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. Now a true shepherd comes through the door. I'm getting a little ahead of myself. We're going to find out that the door is Jesus Christ. He's going to say, I am the door. Now, we know who the ultimate shepherd is, the good shepherd, the chief shepherd. It's the Lord. But as pastors, we're called shepherds in the Bible. And what a pastor should do is the same thing that the good shepherd does. We should be followers of him, and we should exemplify him to you. And as Christians, we too should be the same way to a lost and a dying world. And so, when we bring, when I, my heart is when I bring you to the Lord, I want to bring you through the door. I don't, want, I don't want to come in and seek to steal. I don't want to fleece the sheep. I want to minister to you. And that's what Jesus is talking about here. Comes to the sheep through the door. He feeds them. He loves them. He knows them. He protects them. And he keeps them from the robbers and those that would seek to destroy him. Verse 3. To him the doorkeeper opens, and the sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name, and he leads them out. Now the doorkeeper, again, would be one of the shepherds. So let's say they had a mixed multitude of, of flocks. A bunch of the shepherds get together. They need to you know, have a time to be able to get away on occasion. And they would bring their sheep together, and one shepherd would stay with the sheep while the others might go home and rest on occasion or go do what they needed to do before they would come back and take their sheep. And they would be in that door and, and stay there to make sure that only the true shepherd came back. To me, I believe that the doorkeeper is a type or a picture of what the Holy Spirit does. The Holy Spirit's the one that identifies and recognizes for us the truth of whether or not this is from God. Amen? If you don't have the Holy Spirit in your life, there's no way you can determine between truth and a lie. You cannot determine between a false gospel and a true gospel. You cannot recognize the difference between a thief and a robber and someone who's truly been called by God. It's the Holy Spirit that illuminates that truth for us. But it's interesting to me that he opens the door and he allows them in. But listen, look at this part. And the sheep hear his voice, and he calls his sheep by name and leads them out. The sheep recognize the shepherd's voice. Now wait a minute, there's all these multiple flocks in there. Maybe six or eight different shepherds have all brought their sheep into the sheepfold. How in the world, don't sheep all pretty much look alike, right? How in the world are you going to pick out which sheep are yours and which sheep belong to all the other shepherds? How are you going to know? Here's how they knew. The shepherd would walk up, and he would cry out to his flock 
and they would recognize his voice. He might even sing a song that they were familiar with, and he would walk away, and all the sheep that belonged to him would get up and walk out of the sheepfold. The sheep that did not belong to him wouldn't move. And that's such a clear picture of our relationship to the Lord. Those of us who truly know him, we hear his voice. We recognize his voice. When he speaks, we hear him. Yes, Lord. And that's why it's so important that we spend time in God's word, that we understand and recognize the true voice of our master. How do we recognize his voice? We must spend time with the shepherd. How do you know the difference between a truth and a lie? How do you know if some guy walks up to you on the mall and starts telling you some wild story, if it's true or not? How do you know? The only way you know the counterfeit is if you know the, the, real, the real. Amen? You've all heard the analogy that, you know, when someone works at a bank, they give them real money, they study real money, they know what it tastes like, feels like, touches, they know all about it. And someone hands them false money, they go, well, that's not real. They don't study false money, they don't have to. If you know the truth, when someone brings a false dollar to you, you know it's false, right? How do you know the voice of the shepherd? How do you know to, to hear from him? You spend time with him. How do you know the truth? You spend time in the truth. And when you spend time in the truth, you will recognize a lie when you hear it. If you want to recognize his voice, spend time with him. I love the fact here that it says the shepherd knows his sheep by name. You know that the Lord knows every detail of your life? Do you know that he cares about everything in your life? He's numbered the hairs on your head. Doesn't mean he knows the number. He's numbered them. So every day when I'm in the shower, there goes 8,412, you know. I mean, I'm losing them all the time. It's a lot easier for him to count on my head than yours. But here's the reality. He loves me so much that he knows every detail of my life. He knows us by name. He cares about us. That's the God we serve. It breaks my heart to hear people talk about God like he's this faraway, distant God that it just doesn't have time for us. You know, he's just so far away and so huge, and, ma- and he is huge and incredible and awesome, but he's also Abba Father, which means Daddy, and Daddy knows your name, amen? And he loves you, and he cares for you, and he desires that you would have that intimate fellowship with him. As under-shepherds, under the good shepherd, we too should desire to really get to know those we've been called to minister to. Get to know people by name. Most of you know, if, when I meet you, I ask your name like five times, because I'm bad with names, but I want to know your name. And I want to know all about you. And I want to be able to pray for you specifically. And I love sitting and taking the directory and just praying through it. And just praying for you guys. Because unless I know you, unless I have a heart for you, I'm not going to be able to minister to you. But our God is perfect. And that's his heart. And we too should get to know those that God's called us to minister to. And we were praying this morning. By the way, every week at 8.30, anybody who wants to come, we meet for prayer. And if you want to come, just come on out. We'll be here every week. But as we were praying this morning, God put it on my heart to start praying for every kid on all three of my son's little league teams by name and just start praying for him because the reality is it's a divine appointment that God's put us on the same team together it's an opportunity to minister to those kids be praying for your co-workers be praying for your neighbors get to know people by name and start praying for them and pray for opportunities to minister to them but look what it says there and he leads them out verse four and when he brings out his own sheep he goes before them and the sheep follow for they know his voice now I love this fact and then it says the master leads them out. He doesn't drive them out. He doesn't get in with a whip and start wailing on them until they do what he wants them to do. He leads them out. He starts walking in front of them, and they hear his voice, and they just want to follow because they love their shepherd. They love their master. They want to follow him. That's the God we serve, you guys. If you go to a church and people start getting a whip out and wailing on you to get you to do stuff, 
that's not how the Lord is. That's not the God that we serve. He's a loving and a gracious and a merciful God who laid down His life for us. And He desires to lead us that we might follow Him. And that's what this shepherd does. He would walk out, they would hear his voice, and they'd say, that's my master. Wherever he goes, that's where I'm going. You know what? You want direction in your life? Pray and say, Lord, show me, lead me, and I'll follow you. And you know what? He's a faithful God to do that very thing. Our Lord called us by name, we responded to his voice, and we followed him. He led us out of the bondage of sin and death into love and grace and mercy. And as, his lead, as he leads, we follow. And you know what's neat about that? That means wherever you go, that the Lord's already been there. Amen? He's already been there. Trials, temptations, struggles, difficulties of life, the Lord's already been there. He went before you. He made the path straight for you. And you know what? As you follow Him, know that He's always with you. That's the God that we serve. When the wolves show up, just let God take care of them. Amen? He's there. Good shepherd, that's your job. I'm just a sheep. I can't deal with wolves. Take care of it, right? And he will. He's a good and a faithful shepherd that we serve. God goes before us into trials, into difficulties. Remember, read Psalm 23 and just be thinking about that. Now, the true, the true sheep of Christ follow him. And we don't become sheep by following. We follow because we are his sheep. Amen? Some people think, oh, there's all the rules and regulations. If I keep all of those, then I'll become one of his sheep. That's not how it happens. We become his sheep and then we follow. Amen? You know, the problem is we think, well, I got to get cleaned up a little bit and then I can come to the Lord. You know, I got to quit smoking and drinking and partying and struggling with this sin or that sin. And once I get over my temper problem or my anger problem or once I get my finances straightened out, then I can come to the Lord. The reality is we need to come to him in our trespasses and sins and cry out and say, Lord, touch me. The blind man didn't wait till he could see physically to come to Christ. Amen? The Lord reached out and touched him in his moment of desperation. And as we follow, we become a sheep, then we will follow. How do we know who the sheep are? They follow the shepherd. Amen? That's how we know who the sheep truly are. Verse 5. Yet you will by no means follow a stranger, but will flee from him. For they do not know the voice of strangers. Upon knowing the voice of the true shepherd, the sheep will flee from strangers just like it was a wolf. I've heard, you know what, there's people I flip by a channel on TV and I hear 20 seconds of what they're talking about, wolf, next channel, right? You guys know what I'm talking about? You hear it and you flee from it. Dude, that's noise. That is not honoring to the Lord. I've been in meetings at work, you know, most of you know I was working full-time until just a few weeks ago, and I'd go into meetings and it would just be new age, it would be, I'd be like, you know what, no thanks, I'm out of here, not listening. Why? Because it's the voice of strangers, it's not the voice of the master. Sometimes the voice of a stranger can show up on one of your unsaved friends. The Bible says, walk not in the counsel of the ungodly. Amen? And they'll come and say, oh, dude, you know, come on, man, lighten up. Come do this. Come do that. Voice of a stranger. You know what? If it's not the Lord, I don't want to hear it. Amen? If it's not from God, keep it away from me. And we, we need to be careful because the voice of the stranger can come in music or can come in the inter, things that entertain us. And it can be things that get our eyes off of God and get us walking away from the true shepherd, wandering away where we can be slain by the enemy. And you know what? We just need to follow his voice and seek after him alone. The blind man heard the voice of Jesus and refused to obey the Pharisees, even though it meant he was going to be thrown out. He said, you know what? You guys are speaking with the voice of strangers. You don't, I, look, I've met him. You obviously don't know him because the way you're talking. I'm not interested. 
I don't care how, how thick and black your robes are. I don't care what kind of religious paraphernalia you're wearing. I don't care what title you've got in front of your name. It means nothing because you're speaking contrary to Jesus Christ. Amen? And he's the only way and the only truth, and he is the door into the sheepfold. Verse 6. Jesus used this illustration, but they did not understand the things which he spoke to them. Even though Jesus gave this clear illustration from things that would be familiar to them, they still didn't get it. Why not? They were not a sheep. You know what? If we don't spend time with the Lord, we will have a hard time recognizing his voice. And if we do not know the Lord, we are not his sheep and we will not walk with him. So we see here this parable of the sheepfold, but now we're going to see the answer that Jesus indeed is the door. Look at verse 7. Then Jesus said to them again, Most assuredly I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. Jesus said to them again, Aren't you glad that our God loves us enough to come and say things to us over and over and over? Shouldn't we hear it the first time? But we don't, right? Because we're dumb sheep, right? And we're wandering off into the fires, like fire bad. And we do it again, fire bad. And we do it again, fire bad. You know, we get burned and we just keep doing it anyway, right? I, I, you know, the example that comes to mind, just right off the bat, is I know men and women who want to be married and they'll go off and they'll start dating someone who's not saved. Fire bad, right? And then, oh, you know, and then, uh, you know, he wants it, and, uh, and he's doing it, and, you know, and my relationship's a disaster. Duh, right? And then they get out of it and then the year goes by and dating another unbeliever. Fire bad, right? And they just keep doing it over and over. And so often we do that in our walk with the Lord. God is, loves us so much. He's not a no-fun bummer God with a bunch of rules with heaven at the end. Amen? He's not pouring a bunch of rules on your head so you can't do anything fun. He's a loving, heavenly Father who knows what's best for us and says, don't play in the freeway and don't go into the fire, guys. Amen? That's not a no-fun bummer God. That's a loving Savior. And He leads us and He directs us. And sadly, though, what we do is we listen to the voice of the stranger, and we go the opposite direction, and we get outside of his will. But then he says that in there, I love this part, he says, I am the door of the sheep. The third of the I am statements, revealing that Jesus alone is the door. The only door to the pasture. The only door to rest. The only door to protection. The only door to salvation. Those of you who have been coming on Wednesday night, remember that there's only one entrance into the tabernacle. And that, that door, or that gate, if you will, that was hung on four pillars, a picture of the cross, was a picture, again, of Jesus Christ, because He is the door. The only way we can get in is through Him. The shepherd laid across that opening, and again would be awoken if anybody else tried to come in or come out. We cannot enter the fold unless we enter through Jesus Christ. Verse 8, All whoever... Come bef- all who ever came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not hear them. Now, he says all others, all others who came before me and claimed to be able to show the way of salvation to mankind, all of them were thieves and robbers. If they did not point to Jesus Christ, thieves and robbers, kings, queens, false messiahs, religious leaders, including the very Pharisees he was speaking to. The Pharisees said, hey guys, you want to go to heaven? You've got to keep the rules right? And there's 252 of them. I'm like, dude, every time I meet somebody that claims to be an Orthodox Jew, I always ask them, so how are you getting to heaven? Got to keep the rules. How many rules are there? 252. How are you doing on that program anyway? How's that seem to be working out? I know 10 of them, and I know you've blown those, so I don't know what the other 242 are, but I think you're in trouble, 
Dude, you're a sinner in need of a Savior, amen? Aren't you glad it isn't a bunch of rules? We'd be done, all of us. The law is a taskmaster that drives us to the cross. The law is the thing that reveals we're sinners in desperate need of a Savior. We're not saved by the law. The law drives us to our need for Him. All who ever came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not hear Him. Thieves and robbers not feeding the sheep, bringing salvation, but fleecing the sheep, producing death and eternal separation. Anybody who followed the Pharisees full force were following the Pharisees right into hell. Pastor's talking about hell. Yes, there is a real place called hell. And you know what? If we do not know Jesus Christ, we spend eternity separated from Him. That's reality. And that's what these, these guys did who fleeced the sheep. They were leading them away from the truth. They came to steal, kill, and destroy, as we're going to see here in a minute. Verse 9. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and go in and out and find pasture. I am a door. I am the door. The only door. The only truth. The only path. It's got to be Jesus Christ. All of the leaders that claim to be one of the ways, Hare Krishna, Buddha, the New Age, all of them... They made claims, but every one of them were thieves. Jesus is the door. Let me give you a quick rundown on why do we believe Jesus instead of these other gods? Why do we follow Jesus Christ instead of Buddha? Why do we follow Jesus Christ instead of Muhammad or Hare Krishna or Joseph Smith of the Mormon Church or Charles Taze Russell and the JWs or any of these other isms or any of these other people? Why do we know that what Jesus says is true when he says, I am the door? How do we know that's true? I just wrote these things down as I was studying Friday night. While there are many proofs, here's one set of them. Fulfillment of Old Testament prophecy. These are things that were said about the Messiah. Okay? In the Old Testament, hundreds of years before Jesus was born. He would be a descendant of Abraham, a descendant of Isaac, a descendant of Jacob. He'd be from the tribe of Judah. He'd be born in Bethlehem. They predicted the exact time of his birth. He would be born of a virgin. There would be a slaughter of the children in the area where he was born in an attempt to kill him. His flight into Egypt. He would be preceded by a forerunner, which would be John the Baptist. He would be declared the Son of God, rejected by his own people, betrayed by a close friend, betrayed for 30 pieces of silver, accused by false witnesses, silent to his accusations. He would be spat on and struck. He would be hated without reason. He would be sacrificed on our behalf. He would be numbered with transgressors, the picture of the thieves on the cross. He would be pierced through his hands and his feet. He would be sneered at and mocked. He would pray for his enemies. Soldiers would gamble for his clothes. He would be forsaken by his father. No bones would be broken. His side would be pierced. He would be buried with the rich. And many, many, many more. Who in the world is that talking about? There's only one person that's the answer to even one of those. And it's Jesus Christ. And that's why when he says, I am the door, that we believe him. Amen? All these other guys, liars, dead guys. The third thing that we see, the second thing that we see, is what about the miracles Jesus performed? He turned water into wine. He healed the centurion's servant. He healed Peter's mother-in-law. He calmed the storm. He cast demons into swine. First example of deviled ham, right? He healed a paralytic. He raised Jairus' daughter from the dead. He healed the woman with the issue of blood, the blind man, the demon-possessed mute, the man with the withered hand, the epileptic boy, the deaf mute, the widow's son, the man with dropsy. He restored a servant's ear. He healed the nobleman's son, the lame man at Bethesda, the man born blind. 
He raised Lazarus from the dead. He fed the 5,000. He fed the 4,000. He got the temple tax out of a fish's mouth. He, turned, he walked on water, and he, made the, he allowed these fishermen to catch fish by putting their net on the other side. Who is this man that we serve that says he's the door? He's God. Amen? You know what? All others who make these claims have done none of this. But Jesus Christ proved over and over and over and over again that he's God. And as amazing as all of those are, here's the ultimate proof. Jesus Christ rose from the dead. Amen? Three days later, who got up out of the ground? Jesus did. Did Muhammad raise from the dead? How about Buddha? How about Hari Krishna? No. Dead guys. We can go dig up their bones if they've got, if they've got a plot where we can find them. But all others who claim to be God or a path to God are dead. But Jesus triumphed over sin and death. So when he says, I am the door, we can trust that. Amen? When he says, I am the way, I am the path, we can follow after his words. Verse 10. The thief does not come except to steal, kill, and to destroy. Now the thief here is anyone who teaches a false doctrine. But ultimately, it's a picture of Satan. What does Satan want to do more than anything else? He wants to kill you. Satan hates you. Most of you know I was a youth pastor for a long time. Nothing used to fry me more than seeing kids walking around with satanic symbols on sweatshirts. Or, you know, I even, we had a kid show up to youth group one time. He had horns growing out of his head. He had them implanted into his head. I'm like, dude, what are you thinking, man? Don't you know that, that Satan wants to destroy you? He hates you. He wants to kill you. You know why? Because he's going to hell, and he knows it, and misery loves company, right? He wanted to be God. He wanted to be worshipped. There's nothing he loves more than having people worship him and lift up his name. You know, it's interesting. When I was working full, down in Southern California, I had a lady come to me one time, and her boyfriend had said that God had visited him at night and told him that to prove his love for God, he was supposed to, to go drive his car out to this certain spot and take a gun and stick it under his his uh, jaw and pull the trigger to prove that he trusted God. And she came to my desk and goes, Dave, you got to come talk to this guy because you're the only guy that I know knows something about the Bible. Could you come talk to him? And so I went over to this guy's house and I'm talking to him and he's like, oh yeah, God told me. I go, no, no, God did not tell you. No, God did not tell you. That's Satan who seeks to, seeks to steal, kill, and destroy. Amen? And sadly, I spent four hours with this guy. I brought another guy from church. We prayed for him. But he was rambling. I, I believe demon possessed the guy was a mess and do you know that three days later he went out on the cliff and took a gun and blew his jaw off and and just destroyed himself and i went down to the hospital to visit this guy this guy had been on the cover of gq magazine this guy was a model and he blew his face off to somehow prove to god you know what god will never ask you to harm yourself that's not the god we serve amen He's a loving and a gracious God. The thief seeks to kill and steal and destroy. He's climbing over the back fence and getting a hold of the sheep and bringing harm to them. But we serve a good and a loving shepherd. He still wants to destroy us. Hey guys, I want to talk to you men for a second. I want to encourage you, and moms too, but protect your home. Don't allow stuff to come into your home that the enemy is going to use to get your family's eyes off of God whether it be stuff on TV or the music that you're listening to, God created music to worship Him. Amen? And shouldn't that be what it's all about in our home? My house is going to be a lot different if I'm cranking worship music than I'm listening to Britney Spears or something, right? 
I mean, if I'm, if I'm listening to worship music, I'm going to be entering into God's presence, but the enemy can use things to get our eyes off of Jesus. Then it says in the second half, I have come that they might have life and life more abundantly. So this, the enemy wants to destroy you, and the Lord wants to give you life. He wants to give you eternal life, and he wants to give you a more abundant life here and now. Now, this is a misinterpreted scripture often. He's not talking about a new car in the driveway. He's talking about a more abundant and loving relationship with the creator of the universe. That's what he wants you to have, and you don't have to wait until you get to heaven to get it. Amen? You're going to heaven now. You've been adopted into his family. Jesus the good shepherd, verse 11. He says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd gives his life for the sheep. What does the good shepherd do? He not only knows his sheep by name, he not only leads them and loves them and protects them, but he lays down his life for them. Again, claiming equality with God, he says, the, the next I am statement, I am the good shepherd. Now, in the Old Testament, real quick, I know we've gone long, but listen. In the Old Testament, what kind of sacrifice did they have to make? The sheep was sacrificed for the shepherd. Right? You been coming on Wednesday night? They would sacrifice the sheep for the shepherd. You know what happens in the New Testament? The shepherd is sacrificed for the sheep. Who's the shepherd? It's Jesus Christ. Who are the sheep? We are. They were sacrificing sheep pointing to the coming Messiah, and it was on behalf of the shepherd. But now the shepherd has come and says, I lay down my life for the sheep. I'm going to die that the sheep might have eternal life. No longer the sheep laying down his life for the shepherd, but the shepherd laying down his life for the sheep. You and I deserve to die, but Jesus died in our place and we can be forgiven, verse 12. But a hireling, he who is not the shepherd, one who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf catches the sheep and scatters them. And the hireling flees because he's a hireling and does not care about the sheep. Shepherds were typically the ones who owned the sheep or the son of the owner. But a hireling was somebody you would pay if your son couldn't do the job or if you weren't able to watch the sheep. And a hireling is somebody who was in it for the bucks. And he would come in, and when things got difficult, he ran out the door. And the wolves would come in and scatter the sheep and tear them up. Do you know that we have hirelings all over the church today? We have people that come in, and their whole focus for being in the ministry is to get for themselves. And when things get tough, they don't care about the sheep, they care about themselves. And when things get tough... Move on to the next town. I'm out of here. When things are hard in your life, they don't want to minister to you. You can't give to them anymore. They have no more use for you. There are many hirelings that view ministry as a comfortable occupation and don't have a true love for the sheep. Verse 14. I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and am known by my own. As the Father knows me, even so I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. While the hireling has little or no concern for the sheep, Jesus, the good shepherd, knows each one of us intimately, and he would rather die than live without you. How much does he love you? He'd rather die than live without you. You are his treasured possession. We serve the good shepherd. He loves us so very much. It's interesting that throughout the Bible you see that he not only loves us and knows us, but he knows every attribute of our lives. He knew that Peter was bold and he dealt with him accordingly. He knew that Thomas was hesitant and doubting and he calmed his fears. He knew that Andrew was a people person, you know, come and see. He knew Judas was greedy and, and a betrayer, but he dealt with each one of them differently because he knew his sheep. And the same is true of us. He knows us. He deals with us in an intimate and a personal way. He's a loving God. 
Verse 16, And other sheep which I have that are not of this fold, them also I must bring, and they will hear my voice, and there will be one flock and one shepherd. Now, other sheep, what does that mean? There are other sheep. The other sheep, how many people do we have in here that are, are Jewish? Raise your hand. One, two, okay? The rest of, three. The rest of you, other sheep. Amen? Praise God. Thank you, Jesus. He didn't just die for the dude. Three of us be going to heaven. rest of us, big trouble, right? So praise God that he had a heart for his people, but for the other sheep also. Those that were outside of that fold. And you know what? We've been grafted into the vine, and we too are his children, and he loves every one of us. We are the other sheep. But look what it says there in the bottom. There is one flock and one shepherd. How many churches are there? There's one. I pray for Santa Cruz Bible every week. I pray for Twin Lakes every week. I pray for Gateway Church in Scotts Valley. I'm praying for these guys. Why? Because we're all one church. Amen? I'm praying that God will give them a hunger and a heart to teach God's word. I pray for all the other pastors in town. You know what? We're all on the same team. We all love the same God. There's one shepherd, and it's Jesus Christ. Amen? And so our heart is to reach Santa Cruz County to reach the lost, that they might come to know Christ, not to build Calvary Chapel. If Calvary Chapel grows because the Word's being taught, then praise God. But it's more important that people come to know Jesus Christ. That's what it's all about. There's one sheep, one, one flock, excuse me, and one shepherd, and there's one church. And if you've given your life to Jesus Christ, you're a part of it. You don't need a membership. You don't have to go through 27 classes. You just need to say, yeah, I believe. And you're a member, verse 17. Therefore my Father loves me, and I lay down my life, that I may take it up again. Jesus submitted to the will of the Father and laid down his life of his own free will. Look what it says. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down myself. I have power to lay it down. I have power to take it up again. This command have I received from my Father. Jesus submitted to the will of the Father. He laid down his life. Nobody took Jesus' life from him. It was not nails that held our Savior to the cross. It was his love for us. Amen? Could he have not called angels out of the sky and like smoked everybody? Of course he could. He could have said, you're all toads. Boom, they were in toads. Because he's God. He could have done that. But, so why did he hang there? He hung there because he loves us. Because he's the good shepherd. He said, I freely lay down my life and I will take it up again, which is what he did on the third day. Guess what? Buddha couldn't take up his life again. Hare Krishna, Muhammad, none of those guys. Why? Because... They're thieves and robbers because they're not the door. They're not a path. They don't have the truth. Only Jesus Christ is the truth. Last three verses. Therefore, there was a division among the Jews because of these sayings. And many of them said, he has a demon and is mad. Why do you listen to him? Another said, these are not the words of one who has a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 8 says that Jesus is a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. How do listeners respond to Jesus' words? Divided. You know what, guys? When you share your faith, sadly but truly, most people are not going to want to hear it. Does that mean we stop sharing our faith? No. They're not rejecting you. They're rejecting the good shepherd. The thieves have them, and they don't want to come. But we still need to share the truth. We still need to love these people and know that a stand for Christ is going to bring division. And it says that they will continue to, they continue to reject his words. It said, oh, he's got a demon in him. It's the same old story. They have not had their eyes open. And while some hurled accusations, Jesus' words had impacted others. 
And you know, the good news is the blind man had now, now saw. And there are those that, that you might stand and you might share your faith with a hundred people and only one person will respond to the word. And that one person will, be, will give their life to Jesus Christ. And you know what? Isn't it worth telling 10,000 if even one will accept it? Amen? There are people in this room tonight because someone else in this room told you about the love of God and you responded to it. Praise the Lord for that. Amen? May we continue to realize there's going to be division, but let's bring people to the Good Shepherd. Let's say, you know what, Lord, our God is a great God, a loving God, a merciful God, and He died and suffered that you might have eternal life. So Jesus is the door, and we're the, and this is kind of weak, but I wrote down we're either in the fold or we're out in the cold, but that's true. All depends on what we've done with Jesus. He's the door. The shepherd became a sheep that the sheep might trust the shepherd. Everything else you can follow will harm you. Muhammad, money, your career, it will bring harm to you. Trying to climb up on the outside wall of the sheepfold. But when we examine Jesus' words and his actions, he proves his love to us. So he is the door. He's the only path to a relationship with God. He is the good shepherd. He knows you. He loves you. He laid down his life for you. Are you one of his sheep? Are you one of his sheep? You don't become one of his sheep by coming to church on Sunday. You don't become one of his sheep by calling yourself a Christian. You become one of his sheep when you confess your sin and you say, Lord, I want you to be my Savior. The Lord is my, sh- my shepherd and I shall not want, it says in Psalm 23. If you know the shepherd, you won't want. Your life will be full. It will be complete. Not that you won't have trials, but you'll know who your servant. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you again for your word. We thank you that you are the good shepherd. We thank you that you love us so very much. We thank you that you are the door. And I just pray, Lord, if there's anybody here who's never given their life to you, Lord, that their eyes would be open to their need for you. And Lord, that they would step through that door, that they would not try to do it in their own ability, their own might, but Father God, that they would realize what a loving and a gracious God you are, and that your words would just pierce their heart to their need for you. And Lord, those of us who do know you, I just pray, Father God, that you would help us, Lord, to bring people to the Good Shepherd. Lord, that we would just tell people about our Master and what a great and an awesome God we serve. And Lord, help us, Father God, to know that you do lead us. When we go through trials and you go, we go through difficulty, Lord, that you've gone before us. And Lord, we never walk these paths alone. We just thank you for being our shepherd. We thank you that we can follow after you. We thank you that you protect us and watch over us. We thank you that you're such a great and a loving God. We thank you, Lord, most of all, that you came and laid down your life in our place, that the shepherd paid the price for the sheep. We just thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said, amen. Amen. Let's stand and close the worship song.